Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor. One of the favourite pastimes of the British public is property, whether that's obsessing over house prices or complaining about being unable to buy. But for younger generations, getting onto the housing ladder became that bit harder during 2020 as lenders withdrew high loan-to-value mortgages from the market due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The number of 90% LTV mortgages fell from 776 in February 2020 to 277 a year later, while the number of 95% LTV mortgages fell to just five. In its budget last week, the government announced a mortgage guarantee scheme to encourage more lenders back into this market to turn generation rent into generation buy. But will it work? And what more could have been done? With me to discuss this are David Hollingworth, Associate Director at LNC Mortgages, and Danny Belton, Head of Lender Relationships at Legal and General Mortgage Club. Hello both. Hi. Hi, Damien. So just to kick off uh, Initially, what um, what did you both think of uh, the proposals that uh, the, the Chancellor put forward last week, David? Well, they were well trailed, weren't they? So perhaps the budget speech didn't bring quite so much surprise, uh, both around stamp duty and, of course, the mortgage guarantee. I think the thing with the mortgage guarantee, I mean, this is essentially a kind of dusting off of the helped buy mortgage guarantee, which was a reaction to the dearth of high LTV mortgages that we had post-financial crisis. Um, And I have to say that actually did its job pretty well in terms of encouraging lenders back into that space. Previously, we'd really only had deals which were either leaning on the parent, bank of mum and dad, guarantor and additional collateral schemes. We're trying to fill the gap of high LTV, whereas the mortgage guarantee really did push the bigger lenders to rejoin the straight 95% market. So I think we have to have some good hope for this scheme to to bring that back because it's a real notable exception when we look at where we were at the beginning of 2020 and where we are now, whilst we're seeing 90% return in in pretty good volume, actually 95% looks very, very lean and and so far not been any major signs of uh, improvement. And Danny, do you think that it's the guarantee is likely to have that impact that the government wants it to have? Particularly, they're particularly keen to see long fixed rate mortgages uh, back in the market. Do you think that's likely to have that impact? Uh, it's, it's a really interesting question because there's there's a lot of debate around long term fixed rates and things. And I'll just come back to your original question for David. For me, I think for, for it feels like the government have actually listened to what the mortgage industry have been after. I know there was a lot of lobbying going on at very sort of senior levels to actually say, look, that the whole stamp duty piece and whatever else need, needed to change um, and, and, and various proposals were put forward to, to the government to consider. And it feels like that those comments have been taken on board and, and they've come up with, with, a, with a solution. So I was pleasantly surprised we, we, we got to that place. Um, and I think that's through through good dialogue and actually shows the strength of the mortgage industry and, and the, the fact that government wants to listen, which I think is really important. But in terms of, of, of the guarantee scheme itself, you know, I think there's still a lot to work out here as in, in sort, of sort of the fine detail. Yes, I do get the sense that a number of the high street lenders will, will, will want to place me, well documented, they say they will. But, you know, we're saying that without actually knowing the details of the scheme, how much it's going to cost and what it actually looks like. But there is definite need for for um, higher loan-to-value mortgages. But we've also got to remember there are a lot of smaller lenders out there that um, um, may not actually need the scheme, that are, that are ready to... Uh, 
um, to launch 95% lending, but don't want to be, you know, first or or, or exposed. Uh, recently, we've seen uh, certainly one of the, the Furnace Building Society have launched something in a local area, which they've managed flows for. So, so there is definitely some some positivity, and and we we need to um, embrace this. The question is, is how much lending could be done on this? Is it, you know, we're coming from a society that was able to get a 15% deposit. You know, last year for a lot of deals, and and you know, even even ten percent deposits when ninety percent was um, coming more prevalent. So, does this really add enough? And the answer is yes. I think it adds a good version, but it's not it's it's good addition, but it's not necessarily going to suit everybody's circumstances. But it, it does enable more and more people that potentially wanted to to buy or, or move their existing property. To, to, to be able to do so. So yeah, we, we do take it very, very positively. So potentially some of the big lenders might come in on the back of this and that might encourage some of the smaller lenders to follow suit and it will sort of have a virtuous circle. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we saw it towards the back end of last year with the 90% deals where there was only three or four lenders really playing in that space and and dancing around each other a little bit. But once uh, we got to sort of start of the new year and, and uh, lenders had really sort of caught up with a pipeline and, and service and, and got you know, personnel back into into the right places. We we then saw a, a whole raft of lenders come to market with, with it. So so therefore, it actually spreads the load across it, if you like, and nobody's overexposed. And therefore, you get longevity in in that in that sort of lending area because people can manage volumes and flows properly. And I think the same will be true in ninety five percent. That if if we do see uh, the high street lenders come back, and I suspect that they'll they'll come back together then it will open the door for smaller lenders to actually go, well, I'm not going to be overexposed. I'm not going to be swamped with business, but there's a great opportunity through the criteria and, and the good propositions that they offer to customers to have choice. And when you get a raft of lenders, what that then does is potentially make sure that pricing is still quite fair and reasonable for the risk that lenders are being asked to take. So, so I do think it bodes well if we can get a, a, a decent swathe of lenders to come and join. I, I agree. I, I think what this does is bump start that part of the market because I think you would have got into a who goes first kind of situation, as Danny rightly points out, with the 90% market. And um, what we saw, if we look back to the help to buy guarantee, and the Treasury kind of highlighted this in their paper, that in October 13, there were around 40 products which were available at 95%. Um, and by June 17, that had risen to. 261, I think, is the number they're quoting. Now, actually, some of those, what you also saw was lenders coming in at 95% without using the guarantee and people withdrawing from the use of the guarantee before the end of the scheme itself. So um, this one will run till December 22. But what hopefully we'll see is the 95% market standing on its own two feet again before the end of the scheme comes anyway. And David, was there any more that the government could have done? Well, I think we've also, we shouldn't ignore the stamp duty stuff. And I think we were all, you know, everyone's waiting and watching for the end of March. This gives a little bit more of a phasing out of that, certainly takes away that first deadline. Um, Some will say just imposes another couple of uh, smaller deadlines, perhaps. But but I think that that was a big thing as well, because... It was only storing up some issues, inevitable issues, I think. So we've got a little bit of flexibility there. As far as high LTV itself, I think this, again, will help to at least take a really important step in getting a a mass of bigger lenders coming back to the smaller deposit market at, at the same time. It also does a good job, I think, of saying to first time buyers, 
look, you've probably adjusted to the fact that you need at least 10%, or you might even be thinking you need 15% still, because that was the messaging only last summer. This is acts as a good way of saying to buyers, look, the market's shifting, the market's moving all the time, 95% is going to be back open. So I think we, you know, we can always be greedy for more, but I think um, it's probably answered a couple of key questions around where we are now. Because rates elsewhere, let's let's be honest, lower LTV, they're absolutely amazingly low. Danny, this guarantee, it comes with a, an upper limit of 600k. Does that leave buyers in the in London, the southeast, maybe a little bit high and dry compared to elsewhere? Uh, you, you could argue that, that it would, and uh, but I, I'd come back to the point that we, we were just saying that actually we're going to see lenders come into the 95% lending that don't actually need the scheme. So there will still be some options for those customers that, that maybe need to borrow at higher levels. And I also we, we ought to sort of also reflect that the help to buy, you know, um, there was a lot of talk that that should have been capped at 600k a long time ago, um, but but that that wasn't. So so maybe that the, the, the now has been the time to sort of make the change and bring it there. So it only helps. Uh, it would definitely only help a segment of society. So you could argue that London and the Southeast will have less choice than, than other elements of, of the country. But the fact is, we we have options, and and therefore yeah, that that's got to be better than nothing. And we're, and we're taking a step forward because you know we do know through help to buy there were a lot of people that took help to buy uh, because it had no cap that actually didn't really need it, and so therefore. Yeah, by by maybe putting a cap, we're actually focusing on actually helping the people that genuinely need it. But yes, house prices in in certain areas um, will sort of have an impact in terms of being able to uh, allow everybody that that could take advantage to to be able to do so. Do you agree, David? Uh, I think we had to expect that that would be the case. Really, it's it's been generally been a feature of the schemes, and like Danny says, it helps to show that the government's providing focus for those who are most in need. I suppose speaking about as well, house prices there. One of the common criticisms of all of the government's interventions in this market since 2010, whether it's helped to buy ISAs, the help to buy equity scheme, is that it stokes demand and doesn't really do anything about supply. Um, is this just the same thing all over again, Danny? It, it, it is to a point, but but the reality is, is that we, we've been saying for years and years and years, probably since the last financial crash, we're not building enough homes. And um, it is a constant thorn in the side, and 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 certainly, you know, house prices. I, I mean, uh, we could argue the house prices have been stoked by by the stamp duty and things like that. Personally, I still think it's supply and demand. Yeah, we we've been through something really quite interesting, whereby the the demand actually shot up through through COVID because people realised they either couldn't live any longer in the property they were in, or they couldn't live with the people they were living with, and had to make a change one way or the other, and and that that's created a lot of demand, but we hadn't actually got a lot of supply. Um, and we've probably seen a bit more suppliers. There's been um, uh, a change and, and, and things happened over the last few months. But certainly, you know, I read a report at the beginning of the year to say that the amount of new build properties was down by at least 12%. Well, that, those are um, facts because of probably what's, what's happened through COVID. But, but we need to be reversing that trend. Maybe this is the time, you know, uh, legal and general, as you probably know, have a modular housing unit. Um, their, their plans have certainly strengthened this year to do that. So how do we really start to move and, and push more properties off the conveyor belt or using these modern methods that could actually construct properties quicker to actually start to catch up on the deficit that, that we've actually got. Because it, it's clear, for, unfortunately, that you know the building industry has, has been as affected as any other industry through through the COVID. So yes, we are in, in, a, in a bit of a cycle of having reduced amounts of property available. So I don't necessarily think the schemes themselves will uh, 
cause a big increase in house prices. I think I think they are definitely part of it. But I, I genuinely think the level of demand against the level of supply is, is where the key driver is. And again, you're coming back to think that to high LTV properties, you know, uh, or high LTV loans, sorry. Lenders are very cautious that they don't want to put anybody in a negative equity position either. So there has to be a degree of confidence. And obviously, the guarantee scheme helps that actually house prices will continue to rise so that LTVs actually come down and therefore people have equity in a property should there be a problem. Uh, what do you think, David? Yeah, well, you can never remove the the question of supply. And I think, um, you know, your point's a good one. Will this just stoke more demand? I, I would probably think of it more of a case of, well, who's been affected quite badly by mortgage availability in the pandemic? And first-time buyers will be very definitely one of those sectors. So we're only kind of going back to where we reached in January. Um well, before January 20, but but in January, we had a, a, a raft of 95% options and first-time buyers knew that those were available if that was going to suit their needs. I think just bringing that availability and choice back is, is a positive thing. It doesn't remove the bigger picture stuff of supply, but I think in terms of if we're focusing on what mortgage is we have in the broker's toolkit, it's got to be a positive thing that, that we're seeing this come back. I think the other complaint that sometimes first-time buyers can have is that they, if they're renting, particularly in London, for example, they can already afford the the, the monthly payments that are associated with a with a mortgage. Um, so deposit might not necessarily be so much of an issue, or shouldn't necessarily be so much of an issue. So it is, and the the issue becomes more of the the loan to income ratio. Is there something that needs to be done around that to make sort of mortgages or property more affordable, Danny? I think there's always more we can do. I, I think, you know, we mentioned the London market. If you're paying out huge rents to live in London, you've got to have a huge salary to actually be able to A, afford it and B, be able to save on top of it to actually gain some form of deposit. You could argue that through these sort of troubled times that we've had, actually people have been able to save more because where else have they been spending their money apart from online shopping? And so therefore, that, that may help some people. But, but the general trend is that if you are renting, the cost of renting is generally higher than a mortgage. Therefore, it becomes harder to save because your levels of outgoings are, are slightly higher. Now, you know, I have been speaking to propositions that are, that are trying to address this and see whether they can actually provide a, an option to, to these customers that is based on using their, their rental value against, against the mortgage and, and maybe um, overpay, if you like, or dress down to, 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 to get to a level without having the need to, to need a significant deposit. So there's a lot of thought in there. And I've, but, but your point around the LTI is, is, is also very valid. And, and, and David will be closer to this than I am. But the reality is, is that a lot of lenders out there that do not use their LTI allowance. And therefore, the, the capacity can be constrained on there. But the one thing I would come back to is that when we went through the last financial crash, the one positive came out of this is we actually now assess customers' affordability in a far better way than we've ever done. So I, I don't think it necessarily matters uh, so much about the LTI. Maybe that'll get reviews. I, I don't know about you, David, but I'm hearing sort of talk that this could be up for review at, at, at some point. But you know, affordability still remains key. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're actually seeing some lenders have just slightly tightened up on LTI. I think the stress test element, you know, the argument around what's, we've had interest rates so low for so long. Um, I mean, you could have a long debate about where interest rates are heading, of course. Uh, but people are saying, well, should we be still stress testing at the same kind of rates? I, I think what you can't do is throw off the, all shackles and affordability is the right way 
to go, and that's the primary test. Uh, and LTIs tend to act as a kind of belt and braces cap. I suppose you come back a little bit to the long-term fixed rate issue as well. Is that a way that lenders can start to offer a little bit more flexibility around how much they'll lend because they're building in that long-term stability? And I think I wonder whether that's where uh, Boris comes from in terms of his uh, desire to see that that long-term fixed rate market revisited. But, you know, we've been talking about long-term fixed rates for as long as I can remember without them ever taking taking hold in any great great number but but that's where I, th- I think there could be conversations around that and as Danny says there's lots of moves to bring in rental payments into credit reference agencies to help people build their credit profile um, that can only be a, a good thing but could we actually reach the point where there's a little so you know individual underwriting um, that could look at the overall position and actually build that into the affordability but of course, the more individual you get, the uh, there's bound to be a cost with that too. I guess. Yeah, I'll pick up on a long-term fixed rate, but David, actually, because because I agree with David, it's, it's it's a bit of a challenge, and it has been talked about for a long time. You know, the British mortgage industry doesn't really stray outside of two-year and five-year. We we dabbled in a bit of ten. Uh, and, and it's been okay. But the psyche is not there to actually sort of go any longer than that. But it could potentially provide some really good options for the right customer. The question is, and, and I think where, where we really struggle, there are, there are two elements, is giving the right advice, because we, we recognize that advice is so, so important with anybody that's taking the mortgage and certainly through a financial advisor become critical. And now I think um, uh, intermediaries accounting for about 80% of the market, if not more, uh, which, which is fabulous to hear. So how do we actually get the right advice? And how do you foresee what is going to happen so many years down the line? And the problem is that the, the rates that are coming may be competitive, may actually provide some really good options, but the ERCs that a lot of people in remain a challenge. And, and I think that's still a way to, um, we, we do need to find a way to sort of balance that somehow. For some customers, undoubtedly, it could actually provide a really good opportunity. But for others, I think there'll just be a degree of awareness. But from an intermediary, trying to sell those products when they know that two and five year work incredibly well, I think will will, will be quite hard. We've got to bear in mind, we, I think we're the only nation in the world that, that still works mainly on a two and a five year type model where everybody else is, is working longer term. So, so maybe it is time for sort of change of hearts and minds and, and the way that we work if these products can actually bring some significant benefit. But I think we've still got a lot of work to do. And I think we still got to remain, you know, advice has to remain key, not just at the start, but through, through the journey of, of, of these long-term fix. Because, you know, people's circumstance, as we've all experienced for our lives, will change. Whether, whether it be you need to, to, to move, whether you have children, whether you get married, whether you get divorced, whatever. All these things are life-changing factors that will need to be um, taken into account as, as part of the advice and, and have that regular constant dialogue. And it may be a way of actually bringing customers and intermediaries closer together for that long-term relationship, which I would see as a good thing. And, and Danny, what, what, what is it that's preventing, in your view, the emergence of more 10-year fixes? Is it just a cultural thing or is there more that um, regulators, uh, government could do? I, I, I think most of it is a cultural thing, if, if I'm brutally honest. I mean, we've seen in the past that if, if a lender brings out a 10-year fixed rate, a long-term fixed rate, some intermediaries will, will use it. So it all depends on, on the rate and the cost. Because actually, if you you know if you've got a rate of say four percent and you're getting five year deals at two percent, actually from a customer's point of view, a lot of them say, well, I want to know what I'm paying and I want the cheapest rate now. So that, so they may do it. Whereas other customers we've seen have actually gone seen an advert for a, a long term fixed rate and they've gone to the intermediary or to the lender directly and said, that's what I want. 
because they want that certainty and security. And it's, it's that activity that has probably driven the sale rather than an intermediary saying, look, I, I would recommend this, this long-term um, product. So, so I think there's a lot of education, a lot of understanding, but also that reassurance that actually we're the, the, the basis of the proposition is to actually keep the intermediary at the heart of everything that's done, to keep them close to their customers, to keep making sure the advice is there, but actually perhaps having the products that have the right level of flexibility that if a customer circumstance change, they're not going to have to pay some really significantly hefty ERCs, which, which you know, is, is going to be a major factor. Yeah, lock-ins lock have to be a big part of of how long-term fixed rates, you know, all the removal of that lock-in. If, you, if you're combining it with high LTV, for example, and you're asking a first-time buyer to lock in for the long term and they've got a small deposit, all they're going to be thinking is, well, if the prices do manage to go up further, then I'd be hoping to be dropping into a lower LTV band uh, and improve my rate. Why would I be locking in at such high rate? So also you've got the potential where, you know, lenders could start looking at how they how they recognize that LTV band movement and whether whether they can incentivize the borrower that way in that they won't lose out over time. But currently it would be quite a big ask of a first-time buyer to be locking in at 95%. And you know, whether you like it or not, they'll be thinking if prices go up and I pay this mortgage down, I could be getting some of those tastier rates at lower LTV levels. Hmm. So do you think that as a as a broker, there would be hesitancy, even if the products are available, to recommend a ten-year fix or something around those lines. Well, there are products, and um, and they do get recommended. But I think there's a combination for advisors to sort of broach that that topic. And if the products develop and ERC, you know, some lenders are, have done that. They recognise that locking in for ten years or more is is a real hurdle that's difficult to get over because. Even with rates which are, are as low as they are at the moment, borrowers are hesitant about that because they don't know whether they might need to review the situation. So whether you bring the ERC down to a five-year period or something similar, that can help. Um, but then you've got to get around the customer's viewpoint of, you know, pound in the pocket is still pretty important to them. And if they can lop a little bit off the rates by going for a short-term fixed rate, then and some of them are inevitably going to do that. Others will be very much thinking, particularly as we move into a different cycle and we start talking about the potential for interest rates to rise, you know, that's when people will, will start to see the longer term value of locking their rate in, I think. Committing to anything for 10 years just sounds like an incredibly daunting prospect, let alone a, let alone a mortgage. Well, we're all waiting for the next few months, aren't we? So uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it seems a lifetime away. But... Yeah, exactly. Great. Okay, great. Well, um, thank you to David and uh, thank you to Danny uh, for taking part in this uh, episode of the FT Advisor podcast. And thank you to you for listening and tune in again next week. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.